questions are just an important part of being human. Any of you have one of your children who was the question asker, who just asked question after question, why, why, why does this happen, why does that work? Questions are a part of being human. There are even, there are even sort of, there are questions that are called life's big questions. The big ones, like what is the meaning of life? Or, you know, why would God allow evil? Or why can't women apply mascara without their mouths being open? <laughs> Seriously, think about it. You know it's true. I, it's a mystery. The big ones. Things we study, things we learn about. Our questions. Science is basically a systematic answering of questions. History is answering questions like, how did we get here? How did we get to where we are at? Engineering is, how could we accomplish this or get that done? Questioning things is a part of being human. Maybe you've heard the, the old saying that there's no such thing as a dumb question. I'm here to tell you that's false. That's absolutely false. I spent too much time in high schools to, to uh, be able to claim that that's true. Once we had, a, we had a foreign exchange student when I was in high school. His name was Andres. He was from Sweden. Great guy. I showed Andres around town when he moved to town. And then the first day of school, I was taking Andres around school. We were in line at the cafeteria. They were serving tacos for the first day of school because they wanted us to get off on a great start, you know, and what's better than tacos and Tommy Welch, and I hope he doesn't listen to these because I'm probably going to embarrass him, these sermons, but Tommy walked up to me and Andres. Apparently, he didn't know that Andres spoke English, but he looked at Andres and he asked him just like this, have you ever had a taco? And I said, Tommy, first, he's Swedish. He's not deaf. And second, the taco has made it to Europe. It has made it that far. See, that was a dumb question. I was once asked by a student in my classroom, I, I, this is, I'm 100% serious, his name was Blake, and he asked me, what's the difference between opera and Oprah? <laughs> That's a question that's so dumb, I couldn't even, I know the difference, I still couldn't give him an answer. <laughs> or how about this one from history class? What are the name, what's the name of those pyramid-shaped things in Egypt? What are those things called? The Globe Theater, that's what they're called. Um, questions, though, are a part of being human. Today's passage is really controlled by two questions, and they're not dumb questions. They're big questions. Where we pick up in the Gospel of Matthew, we're, we're at Good Friday. This is the day Jesus will die. He's been arrested. He has been tried in a sort of a kangaroo court uh, before the Jewish high council called the Sanhedrin. They have charged him with a, with a capital offense, and, and they have taken him to a guy named Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor. He didn't fly anything. That was just his name. And that's where Jesus' fate will be decided. So what we're going to read and study today is Jesus' trial before the Roman governor Pontius Pilate. And, and as I said, this passage, you'll, when we read them, you'll, you'll see them. 
The passage is controlled by two questions Pilate asks. He asks a legal question and a moral question. The legal question of this trial, he'll ask it this way to Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? That's the legal question because Jesus is charged. He's charged with being the king of the Jews. And really, we would say that he's been been charged with sedition. Sedition is not a rebellion, but it is inciting people to a rebellion. And it was a capital offense. The Romans wouldn't stomach having one of their conquered areas claim to have an autonomous king. And they claim that's that Jesus is claiming to be an autonomous king, independent of Roman authority, and thus guilty of, of sedition. Jesus or Pilate will ask Jesus, are you that guy? And the moral question will follow, and it is this. Pilate will ask this. What should I do with Jesus who is called the Christ? Let's read our passage. I'm going to back up and, and start at the, the very beginning of this chapter, um, verses 1 and 2, and then our, the, the, the majority of our text will be 11 through 26. But Matthew chapter 27 The first two verses say this, Now when morning came, all the chief priests and elders of the people conferred together against Jesus to put him to death. And they, the Jewish Sanhedrin, they bound him and led him away and delivered him to Pilate, the governor. And now we pick up in verse 11. Here's where we're at today. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor questioned him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said to him, You say so, or it is as you say. And while Jesus was being accused by the chief priests and elders, he did not answer. And then Pilate said to Jesus, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But Jesus did not answer him with regard to even a single charge. So the governor was quite amazed. Now at the feast... The governor was accustomed to release for the people any one prisoner whom they wanted. At that time, the Romans were holding a notorious prisoner called Barabbas, or Jesus Barabbas. So when the people gathered together, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus who is called Christ? For Pilate knew that it was because of envy they had handed Jesus over. While Pilate was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent him a message saying, Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for last night I suffered greatly in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowds to ask for Barabbas and to put Jesus to death. But the governor said to them, Which of the two of you do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Verse 22, Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? And they all said, crucify him. And he said, why? What evil has he done? But they kept shouting all the more, crucify him. When Pilate saw that he was accomplishing nothing, but rather that a riot was starting, Pilate took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd, saying, I'm innocent of this man's blood. See to that yourselves. And all the people said, his blood shall be on us and on our children. Then Pilate released Barabbas for them, and after having Jesus scourged, he handed him over to be crucified. There's our passage, and I want to start 
this morning, the first half of that basically is controlled by the legal question. In the first two verses, the Sanhedrin of, of the chapter, the Sanhedrin is, is met together. They've officially charged Jesus uh, of, of sedition, like I explained, against the emperor. The emperor right now is a guy named Tiberius, and um, that's a crime that people get executed for in first century Rome. And they, they bring Jesus with that charge and hand him over to Pilate. Now, Pilate's no dummy. Pilate had his, his problems, for sure. He made his mistakes, for sure. But he, you don't get to be the governor of a Roman province by being a dummy. Pilate knows the Sanhedrin. He doesn't particularly like the Sanhedrin. If you glance forward at verse 18, we read that Pilate believes the only reason they have arrested Jesus and want him executed is because of envy. They're jealous of Jesus. Were they jealous of? Pilate has heard of Jesus, probably jealous of what is apparently Jesus' miraculous powers. They're jealous of Jesus' popularity out in Galilee. They're jealous of their, for their own position and authority. They're jealous that Jesus would dare to refute and oppose them. The Gospels make very clear, Pilate had no illusions of guilt for Jesus. Pilate never believed Jesus was guilty. Pilate didn't want Jesus to be executed. Pilate's problem, though, is Pilate liked his job. And Pilate's job, a province is just an area that Rome has conquered that's a long ways away from the city of Rome. And that's where Pilate rules. And his main job, as far as the Roman emperor and, and the Roman government is concerned, is to keep that area under control, keep the tax money coming in, keep uh, commerce uh, running smoothly, keep the peace, and don't cause any headaches in Rome. That's his job. It reminds me a little bit of when I was getting ready to take my first teaching job. As all first-year teachers uh, are, I was very nervous. And I called, talked to one of my old teachers, a guy who's still a dear friend of mine, Mr. Caldwell. And he gave me this, the following advice. This was his advice for my teaching career. He said, keep all the kids in your room handle, and handle your own discipline problems. And the administration will love you. They'll think you're a great teacher. And I thought, well, that's weird. He didn't say anything about actually teaching anyone anything. And so I asked him about that. And he said, listen, the administration has enough headaches of their own. As long as you don't cause your class doesn't cause them any headaches, they're going to think you're doing great whether you teach anything or not. That's a little bit like Pilate's job. Just keep, keep things under control in a way that doesn't cause us headaches. And that's that's where Pilate runs into problems in this passage. But what, what Pilate will be trying to do, he knows Jesus is innocent. So he's going to try to not have to execute him, but he's got to find a way to do that where there won't be some big stink that makes its way back to, to Rome. Because history tells us Pilate had had his problems already. He will lose his job a few uh, years in advance after this, or a few years later um, than this. So, what Pilate, the first thing he does is he just goes and talks to Jesus. 
And so I'll just get Jesus' side of the story. And he just asks him, what is the legal question? Are you the king of the Jews? They are claiming that you are claiming to be this Christ, this king that is independent of any other Roman authority. In fact, the Christ is going to throw out all other authority and, and start the, the, the Jewish line of kings or reestablish it. Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answers sort of ambiguously by this translation. You say so, or it's whatever you say. I want to pause for just a minute. This is the third time in the last 48 hours, or less than that really, in the last 24 hours probably, that Jesus has answered a question with those words. In the upper room, the Lord's Supper, Jesus predicted one of you guys is going to betray me. And when Judas Iscariot asked Jesus, well, surely it's not I, Lord. Jesus said, you say so. In front of the Sanhedrin, the, the high priest Caiaphas demanded of Jesus, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. And Jesus answered, you say so. And here, are you the king of the Jews? You say so. It's an ambiguous answer that lets people in the room hear what they want to hear. Jesus isn't going to make Pilate's decision for him. Now, don't, be, don't mishear me. Jesus was not ambiguous as to whether or not Jesus was the Christ. He just answers ambiguously during his trials. Jesus the book of Matthew, probably the major theme of the book of Matthew is this. Jesus is the Christ. That's, we were told that from chapter 1. Chapter 1, this is going to be the story of Jesus who is the Christ. Then Matthew gives us a genealogy that proves he's from the right family to be the Christ. We hear the story of his miraculous conception. He's the Son of God. We're told he's going to be Emmanuel, God with us. Then a bunch of Gentiles from the east, the Magi, the wise men, they know a king has been born in Israel. They come to find him and they go straight to the house and they know he is the king. After he said, you say so to the, to the high priest, Jesus made very clear they knew he thought he was the Christ. If you remember, he said, I'm going to ascend to heaven. I'm going to be at the right hand of the father and you're going to see me there. That's the Christ's position. And then one day I'm going to return on the clouds to judge the whole earth. That's what the Christ will do. So Jesus has not been ambiguous about his own identity, but he does answer ambiguously to Pilate here. Pilate wants a way to get Jesus off these charges without causing a stink. And Jesus won't help him. Because remember, Jesus will not be defending himself. Jesus does not want to be acquitted. Jesus knows obedience for him is death on the cross. So that's where he's headed. It, after, uh, this, after this verse, verse 12, the Sanhedrin gets their say in court. They give a summary of the charges against Jesus. And Pilate comes back to Jesus in verse 13 and, and says basically, like, are you deaf, man? Basically, Pilate says, you have to help me help you. 
Like, I want to acquit you to throw this case out of court, but you're not helping very much. And don't you hear what they're charging you of or charging you with? People get crucified for what they are saying. And Jesus' response is silence again. And that's stunning to Pilate. It's like Jesus takes the fifth, only for opposite reasons. Obviously, they didn't have the Fifth Amendment. That's only as an American thing. But the Fifth Amendment says accused people don't, can't be forced to incriminate themselves, right? We have the right to remain silent. Well, Jesus remains silent not so that he won't incriminate himself. He remains silent so that he can continue to be incriminated. He has no plan to defend himself. And that's just bewildering to Pilate. So Pilate goes to plan B. Plan A was, I'm just going to talk to Jesus, listen to him, refute the charges. He'll probably make enough sense. Give me some evidence where I can say, listen, guys, there's just not enough evidence here. I can throw this out of court. That doesn't work. So Pilate goes to plan B. Plan B is, Pilate is going to, uh, he's going to get the crowd to side with him and against the Sanhedrin. He's going to turn the crowd against the Sanhedrin. He doesn't want to make this decision. He thinks the crowd can make it for him. A little background here. The, the Romans were the masters at making conquered people sort of being okay with being conquered people. They were the masters. The Romans would conquer an area, and then they would do stuff like they would, they would protect those people. They wouldn't enslave them. They wouldn't uh, deport them. They'd let them stay in their homes, practice their religion, have their system of money, give them a, a large measure of autonomy, and then protect them, protect their way of life. So that people are like, yeah, we used to be autonomous, but this whole Roman deal isn't so bad. Nobody can attack us because they'd be attacking the Romans. That ain't so bad. They got the roads, they got the water system, all that stuff. And one, one little custom that developed in some of these provinces is what we read Pilate using here. The, the idea was this. The Romans could say they could appear to be magnanimous before their conquered people and say, you know, I, we might from time to time make mistakes in our judicial system. Nobody's perfect. So here's what we'll do. Once a year, you get to get someone out of jail free card. So that if we've made a mistake over the course of the year and we have someone incarcerated that you as a people don't believe should be incarcerated, we will defer to you once a year. It's a way to keep conquered people sort of more okay with being conquered people. Well, Pilate's plan B is this. You can almost see the light bulb go off over his head like cartoons used to happen. Here's what I'll do. I've got this really bad guy incarcerated. His name is Barabbas. By the way, in, in this translation, your translation, you see Barabbas' name? Almost surely this guy's surname was Jesus. Jesus was a very common name in first century Israel. Um, the early manuscripts mostly have it, and then probably to clear up confusion or to protect the name Jesus, that sort of went away. Barabbas 
is a word that just means son of, the fa- of a father. And that might be like a John Doe, or he could be, um, he could, his dad could have been named Abba, which would have been a weird name, but, but whatever. That's why in all of our, that's why Pilate differentiates later. Who do you want me to release to you? Jesus Barabbas or the other Jesus? Jesus who is called the Christ. But one way or the other, Jesus Barabbas, he's an actual bad guy. He is the kind of, of rebel who, who, who makes the Romans heavy hand come against the people. He's a guy that deserves to be in prison. It's why Really, the cross Jesus winds up on was meant for Barabbas. And the two men that were crucified with Jesus were cohorts, most likely, of Barabbas. And one of them, if you read the Gospel of Luke, one of them admits, we are up here because of what we have done. We deserve to be here. They were bad guys. So Pilate thinks, I know Jesus is popular. That's why. That's why he was, he was arrested by the Jews in the first place. So here's what I'll do. I'll bring the obvious bad guy, Jesus Barabbas, out here, and the obvious not bad guy, the innocent guy, Jesus, who is called the Christ, and I'll just ask the crowd, who do you want released? Surely they will pick Jesus, who is called the Christ. That's his plan. Now, this is a, this is a failure on Pilate's part. He makes a bad read of the local people because we know the crowd responds um, differently than he anticipated. He's been outflanked, outmaneuvered by the Sanhedrin. They have gone throughout the crowd asking, or persuading the people to ask for Barabbas to be released and have Jesus killed. That's why it goes down the way it does. Now, that can be confusing to us. I, I've heard this taught on multiple occasions. You ever heard this? In the last week of Jesus' life, on Sunday, Palm Sunday, he's riding into town, and what are the crowds shouting? The crowds are shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. They're calling him the Christ. It's crazy to think that in just a few days, on Sunday, the crowds are are chanting Hosanna to him, and then by Friday, they're chanting crucify him. How can people change so quickly? That's the same misread that Pilate made. Jesus was popular out in the sticks. He was popular in Galilee. We're in Jerusalem now. I think Pilate misunderstands where Jesus is popular. If you go back and read the triumphal entry in Matthew, Jesus, he he rides into town. People are chanting, Hosanna to the son of David. These are people who came with Jesus from Galilee. They're just getting into town too. What are the people in Jerusalem saying while, while everyone's shouting Hosanna to Jesus? Do you remember? They ask, who is this? Who is this guy they're calling the Messiah? So there's one thing that's happening. Jesus isn't nearly as popular in Jerusalem as Pilate thinks maybe he is. This is probably a much more crowd that's much more loyal to the Sanhedrin than to this Galilean preacher. Especially once the Sanhedrin has arrested this Galilean preacher 
And the Sanhedrin goes through that crowd and says, you with us or against us? Like, uh, I think we're with the people who are three, not the guy who's uh, possibly going to be crucified. And also I'll say this. If you don't think in the Middle East, a few, relatively few religious hardliners can whip common people into acts of violence, if you don't think that happens, you haven't been paying attention to the Middle East for like the last 3,000 years because it's been happening there for a long time. Be all that as it may, Pilate is shocked when the crowd just shouts and chants, crucify him, crucify him. And Jesus, or excuse me, Pilate knows he's innocent. That's why he asks, why, what wrong has he done? Pilate knows the answer to that question. Nothing. So before we move on, the legal question are you the king of the Jews? Is, are you guilty of crimes against the emperor? Are you planning to be a terrorist, we might say? And Pilate knows the answer to the legal question. He's not guilty. But that leaves him, because of the way he's played this, with an even more difficult moral question. He knows Jesus is innocent, but now he has to answer this one. What should I do with Jesus who is called the Christ? What should I do with Jesus who's called the Christ, but I know he's not guilty of what they say he's guilty of? Because Jesus was no threat to Rome. John 3, what did Jesus tell Nicodemus? I came to judge the Romans. Is that what he said? He said, I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. John adds this note in his gospel. From that point on, Pilate tried to release Jesus. But the Jewish leaders shouted out, if you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar. Everyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. Jesus claims to be a king. He opposes Caesar. And if you side with Jesus, you oppose Caesar. And the unspoken threat is, and we will make sure Caesar hears about this. You see the conundrum, his dilemma. I don't want to, to execute an innocent man. But I also like my job. So, but Pilate caves. He caves to this one violent crowd and the Sanhedrin he doesn't even like. He's a, Jesus isn't a bad guy, he isn't a, he's no threat, but these guys could make real trouble for me. And now that Pilate has decided he has to cave, he's got to allow Jesus to be crucified, Pilate does something with this moral question. He tries to allow Jesus to be executed in a way that makes it seem like he didn't make the decision. What do I do with Jesus is the Christ? Nothing. I'm going to, here's where we get the, the saying, I'm going to wash my hands of this whole situation. He tries to allow the decision to be made in a way that he didn't make it. That's what he does. He brings water out and he washes his hands, symbolically saying, his blood is not on my hands. I'm innocent of this. This is all on you folks. You take care of this guilt. And what do the people say? Verse 25, let his blood be on us 
and on our children. But try as he may, I don't care how hard Pilate washed his hands. I don't care how hard that crowd said, sure, we'll take the blame. Pilate's decision was to execute Jesus Christ. Then he released Barabbas for them. Who's he? Pilate. But after he had Jesus flogged, who's he? Pilate. He handed Jesus over to be crucified. Who is that? Pilate. Pilate has gone down in history as the man who ordered the execution of Jesus Christ. You know why? Because Pilate is the man that ordered the execution of Jesus Christ. He tried really hard to not make a decision. But to not make a decision was to make a decision. And he could wash his hands all he wanted. But the blood of Jesus of Nazareth was still on his hands. That's the story of Jesus' trial before Pilate. I called this sermon, if you noticed in the bulletin, it's called Pilate on Trial. It's really similar to Jesus' trial before the Sanhedrin. When we studied that passage, it said it was like a, like a hidden camera expose where, where there, there's somebody thinks they're pulling a fast one on somebody else and really they're the ones that are kind of being trapped. If you've ever seen a TV show like that, that's what these trials of Jesus are like. Pilate thinks Jesus is on trial and he's just figuring out the best way to get away from him. What Pilate doesn't know is the cameras are rolling. This is his trial. Pilate is responsible to answer these questions. Is Jesus guilty? No. Then what do I do with Jesus. And if we back up a little further, see that this is the same trial for every single one of us, every single person who has ever lived. These are the big questions. Was Jesus a bad guy? Was Jesus a nut? Was Jesus a loon? And then what do I do with Jesus who is called the Christ. Those are the question, that's a question. Those are two questions every single one of us need to deal with. The first one, if you think about it, the way Pilate thought about it, is the easy question. Was Jesus a danger to the Roman Empire? Was he some wacko? Was he like David Koresh or, or, or Jim Jones? If you remember those guys, almost nobody believes that. Every major religion in the world would answer that Jesus was no danger to the Roman Empire, that he was innocent of these charges. You know, almost every religion in the world says good things about Jesus. In Islam, he's a prophet. Even the Jews now speak of Jesus as being a good teacher, a good rabbi, a moral example to follow. He is a god with a little g in Hinduism. Every religion speaks well of Jesus. But that's the easy question. The difficult question is this. What do I do with Jesus? Because the Bible's pretty clear. Thinking Jesus was a good guy doesn't get you very far. Thinking that Jesus wasn't guilty of what he was accused of gets you nowhere before God. The only answer to that question 
is to understand every single person is responsible to answer that question. I can't let the crowd answer the question for me like Pilate tried to do. I can't try to weasel out of this. This is really, really common. If I walked around Imperial with a, with a clipboard and I went door to door and I asked people, among these religions listed, which one are you? What would, what would almost everyone in Chase County say they are? Christian. What if I ask him this? What have you done with Jesus Christ? Have you, put, have you like bowed your knees at the cross of Jesus Christ? Have you made him the, the king of your life? Is he your king? Now doors would start closing. Whoa, 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 whoa. I don't go in for all that stuff. Let's not get all crazy here. Right? You know what I want? I want, to, I want to go someplace. I want to go to the holy place and see the holy man and I want him to tell me my sins have been forgiven and that's all I want. Because I don't want to have to make this decision. What do I do with Jesus Christ? Because we are like someone else in this passage. We really are. The crowds... And Pilate said, listen, I'm going to try to not make this decision. Let his blood be on you. Remember what the crowd said? Let his blood be on us and on our children. They had no idea what they were saying. But while we end, I want to, just, I want to argue with you that the blood of Jesus Christ is on every single person who has ever lived. The blood of Jesus Christ, in one way or another, is on every single person who has ever lived. Here's how. It's either, his blood is either on my hands or it's on my heart. Let me explain. 1 Corinthians 15, we read this. Christ died for our sins. What does that mean? What does that mean? How would you reword that? Christ died for our sins. In at least one sense of that word, here's what that means. Christ died because of our sins. Isn't that true? If that is true, if Christ died because of your sins, then the song we sing from time to time that has a lyric like this is very true. It was my sins that held him there. Jesus was held on the cross by my sin just as much as he was held on that cross by those nails. True? And not just us. 1 John 2 says this. Jesus Christ is the righteous one. He is the anointing, excuse me, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for our sins, but also for the whole world. Here's what I take this to mean. Somehow, the execution of Jesus Christ was a group effort. And we all participated. If he died for our sins, because of the sins of the whole world, then we all participated in nailing him on that cross. If that's the only thing you ever did wrong, wouldn't that be enough? Like you killed the son of God. So did I. Right here in America, if you are just in a group that commits a felony and someone gets killed while that's going on. Aren't you guilty of murder whether you pulled the trigger or not? Yes, because you are responsible for what that group does 
And the group of us killed Jesus Christ. And we're guilty of that. And we're born in that sin. And the blood of the Son of God is on our hands. You ever hear that saying? His blood is on my hands. And we can wash our hands like Pilate did all we wanted. But we cannot get rid of our guilt. There is only one way. When I answer the question, what do I do with Jesus correctly? What do I do with Jesus? Here's what I have to do with Jesus. I have to place my faith, I have to believe that I will stand before God and be judged guilty. Guilty, guilty, guilty. I cannot wash my hands of what I have done. I cannot change my mind hard enough. I cannot try to be better. I cannot try to do enough good things. I can't do religious stuff. I can't do charitable stuff. I cannot do enough good to undo the bad that I've done. And the bad includes killing the son of God. So I have to come to God and say, God, I'm, I am a lost sinner. Guilty before you. But I believe that when, when Jesus went to the cross, what was happening is the punishment for my sin was actually going on him. And I just want to plead the blood of Christ over me and my sins. I know I will be guilty before you, but he was innocent. He died for my sin in my place. And I throw myself at the mercy of the cross of Jesus Christ. When a sinner does that, makes that decision, I want to follow you, Jesus. You, I want you to be my king too. When we do that, his blood goes on us in a different way. His blood is no longer on our hands. His blood covers the doorposts of our heart. He becomes the lamb who was slain, who takes away the sins of the world. So just as we close, let me, let me just ask you, what have you done with Jesus? His blood is on you, one way or another. If you've never just come before him in your heart and just knelt before him and called him your king and told him you believe that what he did at the cross, he did due to your sins. That is all you have to do. It's all you can do. And your sins will be washed away with the blood of Jesus. Would you pray with me while our musicians come forward? Father God, I thank you so much that you put your son on trial, even though he was innocent, so that we could become your sons and daughters and we could withstand our own trial because the punishment's already been served. It is the only way we can be saved. And Father God, if there's someone here who has never bowed themselves before you, I just want to give them a moment with you. And I just want to invite you to just tell God that you, you understand and believe that what Jesus did at the cross, he did for you to pay for your sin. Tell him you wish for his blood to no longer be on your hands, but on your heart. And God, for, for those of us maybe brand new believers or those of us who have been believers for years and years now, 
Help us, Lord, to continue to follow the one we say we believe in. We would submit ourselves to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We love you, God. We thank you for your your death, your burial, and your resurrection that you're teaching us about in Matthew. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand and finish with us.